Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast, AT&T, Pebble Beach, Pro-Am, everything you need to know for this week's betting and fantasy action. And as we do every Tuesday to talk through this with me, I'd like to welcome in Greg Ducharme. Welcome, sir. How was your Super Bowl? Oh, well, you know, I got uh, I saw the second half, which is rare for me. It seemed to me like the Super Bowl was over earlier this year. I don't know. Like, it, it wasn't that bad for me to stay up for the whole thing. Normally, I feel like I'm drained by the time the game ends so uh, it might have just been the circumstances outside of it maybe because I missed the first half it was a completely different Super Bowl year for me but it was really good to see the second half I'll tell you that and uh, it was an exciting game and I'm happy with the outcome yeah, I mean, we got a good game, right? I mean, that's kind of what I wanted. I, I, I don't have a dog in this fight, uh, so I just wanted to see action. I wanted to see a good game. I thought the Niners were going to do it there for uh, a while. But, yeah, I mean, okay, I'll tell you. I When I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, like literally the best thing about living on the oh, West Coast TV. is that – Oh, my God. Sports, yeah. I mean, the Super Bowl, I don't know what time it was. It was over at, like, 8, 8.30, something yeah. like that, maybe even earlier. And I was just like, oh, I still got time to do stuff before I have to go to right. bed. I mean, you got all day. I've always envied the the Pacific Standard Time. I, I look at that and I am so jealous. I mean, I guess things start early, but for me, like I'm an early riser and getting stuff, yeah. staying up really late for me to watch a sporting event is always hard. It's always, it, it's easy for me to get up early. It's hard for me to stay up late to watch a sporting event. Maybe that's because I have to get up early, but uh, it, I'm, I, I'm very envious of you and your sports consum- consumption. And what we get is basically like by the time I wake up, like PGA Tour action has started. Like it's off and running. Like I, I've got no time to sit around and wait. Even like, you know, Sunday football, I don't have to wait till one o'clock, 10 a.m. after breakfast, we're watching football. So yeah, it is definitely uh, top notch. I highly recommend yeah. it. All right. Let's talk golf. So before we jump into this week's AT&T Pebble Beach, which has the history, it's kind of, it's a unique event. It's got the pro-am aspect of it. Let's take a second to go over last week's waste management. You and Kyle uh, on the Sunday night show, awesome job at kind of going over what this means for Webb, what this means for Tony Finau. So if you haven't listened to that, highly recommend going back and listening to it. But for us, we were kind of right on a lot of things. I mean, Webb was someone that we sat here and we talked about and we kind of beat our chest over and said, that's a pretty good price. And you know what? He goes out and rewards yeah, us. Yeah, Webb is uh, incredible. I I didn't expect him to win this tournament. I expected him to do what he always does and probably finish somewhere in the top five. The fact, <laughs> right, second right, place. <laughs> yeah, he's second place Webb, it seems. Now he's changed that narrative. It's, uh, it's really impressive. What's also interesting to me, like, there's been a couple guys, Tony Finau, Ricky Fowler, um, are guys that we've kind of talked about in the light of they always finish T5, right? They're, they're yep. good players with good finishes that don't win. And Webb, 
who was kind of since the players championship in 2018, he was kind of doing that. He was like pulling a, a Ricky and a, a female, but we didn't view him. At least I didn't view him in that light for a number of reasons. And, and the reason is what he does on Sundays. Webb's Sunday scoring average is phenomenal. He, I mean, it's under 68 this year. It was third on tour last year. He, he plays great on Sundays. He just has gotten beat. And it's, that's when the notion of it's really hard to win on the PGA Tour really shines through. It's hard to win yeah. on the PGA Tour because of guys like Webb that aren't afraid to go shoot 65 on Sunday, uh, or 64 on Sunday, or whatever it takes. They're, they're unafraid. And so that makes it really hard for guys like Tony, guys like Ricky to get the job done, uh, guys who have a little bit more challenging of a time on Sunday, as good as they are. Sunday's just a hard day for them. Webb's not that way. So it was really exciting to see him get the job done. I did feel, I felt bad for Tony, but uh, I, I think Tony will be fine. I don't think it's going to scar him or anything. Yeah, the fact of actually winning is so interesting. And uh, our buddy Will Haskett, uh, him and I go back and forth on, on Twitter about this all the time. We're basically like, uh, Webb Simpson's strokes gained numbers, how good they've been. You'd think he would have won more since just like the 2018 Players' Championship. And actually, Tony Finau's the same way. And it's just like someone always seems to best them. Um, this week, that you know, both of them get into the playoff, and both of them have been running below expectation for what we would expect out of out of wins. Uh, but you're right. I mean, we we were here a couple weeks ago where we were reading off uh, Justin Thomas's like ridiculous stat line, and he had like three wins and seven starts, or like something crazy like that. And then we were looking at Webb's, and it was like three seconds in seven starts, which is also insane. Like that's also insane. He lost to one guy three times but we don't like our brains can't compute it as great as what we saw you know like justin thomas if if justin thomas had the stat line of webb simpson i think we would talk about justin differently than we talk about webb uh justin would be getting i think more praise than webb gets for his play and part of this Part of the reason is, see, look, like, let's go back to Tony Finau and Webb Simpson. To me, you look at their stat lines, there's a hole in Webb Simpson's game, um, and there's a hole in Tony Finau's game. For Webb Simpson, it's distance. It, that's it. I mean, it, it, the strokes gain off the tee, that statistic has a, a major lean towards distance for a number of reasons. I'm not saying that that makes it a bad stat. It just has a major lean towards distance um, for a number of reasons. And Webb has, I call it built in. You can, can you improve your distance? Yes, you can increase your distance. Look at Cameron Tringale, Bryson DeChambeau, a number of players who have, in, Webb actually has increased his distance. Yeah. But, sure. um, but, but he is at it from a clubhead speed perspective at a disadvantage when he walks to the first tee. You look at Tony Finau and the hole in his game is his putting. And he just, he's not a great putter. Uh, statistically over time. That's the weakness for him. And you'll, you'll hear it talked about all the time. If Tony Finau could putt, he'd win every tournament. And there's <laughs> probably 15 guys on the PGA Tour. I was going to say, that that's a, that's a lot of guys on that list. Webb is not on that list. Webb has no. figured out a way to get it done with the putter. So the skill set that Webb Simpson has to me is, uh, I look at it with an elevated light. I think he is more skilled because he overcomes the the distance that he does not have and he does it on every golf course. Now, distance is a skill, yes, but um but but to me it's a skill that is uh it's less it changes less often week to week. You're not going to have a like like you're not going to have a week on the PGA Tour where all of a sudden you're just you've lost your distance. 
Whereas you can have a week on right. the PGA Tour where you lose your short game or you can't seem to hit your, yeah. you're not sharp with your irons or your putting is inconsistent. Distance seems to always be there. So when Webb is at that disadvantage, he's at that disadvantage every week on the PGA Tour. It makes what he does week in and week out, it makes the consistency that he's shown us that much more impressive to me. Well, that's actually a good segue into a guy I, I also want to uh, tip my cap about because uh, that's what we talk about where I love these guys who hit it well and they putt poorly because one week they're going to catch a fire putter. Like yep. you, It's hard to go the other way. Luke Donald or Wes Bryant is not going to wake up and for four rounds hit his driver like Dustin Johnson. It's not going to happen. But is Benny Ahn going to be the best putter in the field one week? Like, maybe that is much more uh, likely to happen. And speaking of which, Benny Ahn, uh, one of these tee to green guys that cannot seem to get the putter down or get the ball in the hole with his putter, ends up in a T9. We uh, we went back and forth on Benny. And I'll tell you what, I mean, a great finish. I loved it. I had bet him top five, so he actually kind of disappointed yeah. me a little bit. But uh, really good showing. I love this kid. So I much. do too, man. I, I really do. I enjoy watching Ben on play. A great ball striker. But it, he just he still continues to give me concern. I know this was one of the guys we disagreed on last week. He, he just... He gives me concern. Like that T9, it, it could have in a, in a heartbeat gone the other way and been a T39 or a miscut. Easily. And, and so it just gives me that pause. I, I, the guys, like you said, the guys that are great ball strikers, they kind of have these built in skill sets. And, and what yeah. I mean by that is what we just explained with Webb Simpson. It, it's not going to change as much day to day, typically speaking. Those guys I really like too, but with Ben on, I don't see the putter getting hot it, from a technique perspective. It, it, it feels like it's too much luck. It, it doesn't feel like the putts aren't just going in. It feels like he's hitting cut putts and the ball's jumping off the face and it's spinning. And he, it, it, to me, it's like he's one of those guys. Hideki's kind of one of those guys too, where they almost have to make a technique change if they really want to improve their putting over time. And I just haven't seen that happen. So, um, you know, yeah. unless they're at a venue like Hideki at, at the Waste Management where he's just – this week was the worst week he possibly could have had. And I think it was like, what, a T-16 or something? Yeah, he charged up the leaderboard, yeah. That's like the worst he can do there. I think it's, in fact, his worst finish there. So um, unless it's at a course with great history like that, I typically – I'm not crazy about those guys. Tony Tony Finau can actually hit some good putts. He he hits good putts that don't go in a lot. So it's a little bit of a different story. You kind of the statistics with these kind of players, you kind of you got to get away from a little bit and there's a little more eye test involved for me. This week AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, uh, we know the course, but that will not be the only course that we see. Pebble Beach will be the host course for this week, but we're getting another course rotation. So we've got a three-course rotation in stock for this week. Pebble Beach, Spyglass Hill, and Monterey Peninsula. Greg, different than what we saw just a few weeks ago at the American Express, where that three-course rotation is some of the easiest courses on the PGA Tour, all three of these courses played above average in terms of difficulty, meaning they were more difficult than the PGA Tour average last season. So I don't think we're going to see 30 under par here. To, uh, this I don't week. either. There's a couple major differences. One, we're going to have some rough. It's not going to be, um, it, you know, it's it's likely not going to be U.S. Open rough. That's not what I would expect. But 
it's at the same time not the it's not dormant rough it's not no rough like we get in the desert the other thing the other key difference between the american express and the at&t pebble beach pro-am is there's weather this is we're yeah. i mean it, you're on you're right on the pacific ocean it's a little up farther north than say torrey pines where you are and the the weather is a factor and it can change in a hurry and you almost get into like open championship like conditions because you're right on the coast not quite as extreme but there's definitely weather is definitely a factor you get some heavy fog in the morning it can lift in the afternoon it can change the distance you hit your golf ball um you you have some really small greens especially at pebble beach i mean these are these yep. greens are really small and surrounded by rough and they slope and they're hard to hit so you have to be really precise on these golf courses um and and all of them are the same way you, ha- you have to be really precise spyglass hill offers a tremendous challenge i don't know so much about monterey peninsula i i, I don't know as much about um each of the holes out there but i'll tell you it's no gimme um but spyglass and pebble are those two courses are are particularly challenging. And what you can actually get here some years is where the weather's kind of crappy in one of these courses, but the sun is shining at another one of them. You can get some really kind of crazy yeah, things going right. on. So the order, the order, the order in which you play them in, uh, I haven't checked the weather forecast for this week, but it might be important, which kind of leads us into, uh, our little snippet of advice that, um, we want to cover each week. And for this week, for me, weeks with a course rotation, when I look at the betting board, I like to do it in event. You won't see me putting a bunch of bets down before the tournament because the books are a little late to catch up. And this is exactly what we saw at the American Express with Andrew Landry, where basically he was, I don't know, tied for the lead or up near the top of the leaderboard, but he had the Nicholas tournament course still to play while everyone else was headed to the host course, uh, PGA national. And it was like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. He's, he's going to have a chance to shoot like six, seven, eight under par tomorrow. And that's eventually what he ended up doing. And he gave himself a pretty good cushion. So the way that I like to do this, Greg is very little upfront. Uh, let's start to see how these courses play out. You're not going to miss out on, on too many big odds if you wait, I don't know, 36 or 50. So when you, when you look at this, I know for me, when I just, I think that the most difficult courses are Pebble, of course, and Mon, and, uh, I'm sorry, and Spyglass Hill. I think those are the two most challenging courses. What's the data saying? Is there a big advantage here? Are we trying to get, guys that have a Saturday round at spot at, uh, at Monterey Peninsula. Are we looking in anything like that? Kind of like Andrew, remember Andrew Landry had, had the Nicholas course, as you just mentioned, and we said on Friday night, Hey, Landry's probably the guy that's <laughs> going to make a move. He has the advantage here with the courses. Is, is there one, do you think it's that noticeable? Do you think it's that extreme this week? So as of right now, and based on what we know from last year, uh, Pebble Beach is kind of like significantly harder. So if you have someone who is in contention and they've already played Pebble Beach, like that would be a good sign. Now, what I think we kind of – I don't want to say we messed it up, but – even just more recently at the American Express, the three courses were not that much different. Um, like, like the Nicholas Tournament course played much easier than even we had expected and we knew it was going to play easy. So I think after we watch, you know, the first round and even the second round and get an idea for what the difference between the three courses are, like we'll be able to just absolutely, you know, slobber knock, uh, Saturday and Sunday bets because we'll have so much more. So you, you're a fan of these three, these three course tournaments. I am not necessarily a fan of them because they're hard to watch. They're hard to follow. You don't get a lot of data. You don't have a lot of cameras on the non-host courses. But I think they present a really compelling 
uh, advantage to people who are paying attention. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think if you're if you're betting, not necessarily in fantasy golf, but if you're betting, um, you know, like like your 36 hole bet, you're gonna you're gonna hedge your bets after the weekend. It, it, it does present extreme opportunity, um, which, which I think that's an interesting strategy for a week like that. But I'm with you for for a fantasy golf perspective for watching. It, it's a little challenging. I mean, it, it's hard to yeah. know which day they're going to, especially this one. The MX is a little bit easier because it's it's what I call dome golf. This isn't anything but dome golf, right? You don't know what you're going to get with the weather. So uh, definitely a little bit more challenging this week for DFS. Yeah, someone's going to be like eight under through ten at one of these courses, and we're going to be like, how are they doing that? Like, did they did they hole out three times? Right. Or like, what's going on here? Um, all right, so let's do this. Let's uh, We're going to jump into the DraftKings and the betting board, but first, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I, I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, they've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there, and I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now here's what you can do for four our listeners. Uh, first-time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. All right, we're back, Greg. So let's hop right into the top of the DraftKings player pool. There are five golfers over $10,000, led by Dustin Johnson coming back from Saudi Arabia, Patrick Cantlay, Paul Casey, Jason Day, and Brant Snedeker. Uh, I got to say, this is kind of a weak field. Um, you know, we've got DJ at the top, we have Cantlay here, but when we get to the next tier of golfers, it's going to drop off pretty significantly. And I think I'm like, with that in mind, I'm grabbing one of these guys in my lineups and I'm probably betting one of them because I think they suck up a lot of like the total win equity that comes out of this tournament. What do you well, think? Well, I think you bring up a great point with win equity. Uh, a number of these players have some things that are um, very, very interesting. It's definitely – this group of players definitely catches your attention. There are a couple of things that I find very interesting. Dustin Johnson at 11,600 – 
seems a little high. I know he had a great finish in Saudi Arabia. He's been playing really well. All the numbers are going to say DJ's a, a great pick. I mean, look at his course history here. 2009, yeah. he came in first. 2010, he came in first. So he's got two wins. <laughs> he's got 2014, a tied second. 2015, a tied fourth. 2017, a tied uh, a solo third. 2018, a tied second. He has these two finishes, last year T45, 16 T41, and those are just, they, they give me just a little bit of pause. Maybe I'm off base here. It's hard to imagine that DJ is going to finish T45 again for a second week in a row, but I, I haven't seen enough out of him to really have a lot of trust. I know he came in tied seventh at the Century Tournament of Champions. I know that uh, that he played really well coming in second in Saudi Arabia, another where he was the defending champion. But I just yeah. I have these this shadow of doubt with DJ. Do you think I'm off base? I think you're a little off base. I'm probably no, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I'm probably just more more warm on on DJ than you are. But I agree with the sentiment of eleven thousand six hundred dollars in this field is going to become very difficult to roster. Uh, I I, I kind of want this both ways where I want to grab one of these guys above $10,000, but I don't want to pay down for anybody like under 7000 because I think the field gets really, really weak. So I'm stuck in this situation where I want to have it both ways. And I'm thinking, okay, if I want to do that, if I need to get one of these guys over $10,000 and I can spend, let's say, $1,100 less for someone like Paul Casey – I'm intrigued by that because Casey, for I mean, for all intents and purposes, has played more golf around the world than than almost anybody. Like he did not stop playing after the Tour Championship last year. He went right over, played a bunch on the Euro Tour. He won the Porsche European Open uh, just a few weeks ago. He had a fifth place finish at the Australian Open. He only has two starts here, two last two years at Pebble Beach, eighth and a second place last year. Like when I think of a guy who. Like, you know, these are small greens. You're going to need to be able to hit your irons well. Um, I know the closer that Casey gets to the greens, they, you know, kind of gets a little wonky on him. But, um, like, I don't know. Place obviously seems to fit him, and I don't have to worry about where he's been for the last six weeks because he's been playing golf. I agree. Um, I think Paul Casey is an intriguing pick. And this is part of the reason why DJ – like, just to go back to DJ quick, it's not that I'm against D, it's not that I think DJ is going to have a poor week. I just, for the price that he is, and, and with the class that you have, um, between Brant Snedeker and Patrick Cantlay, uh, including Paul Casey and Jason Day, with all of those players sitting there significantly cheaper, I just have a hard time pulling the trigger on DJ. It's just, there's just a shadow of doubt. And to me, at that, uh, $11,600 price range, it's gotta be, it's gotta feel like a lock for me. Like John Rahm last yeah. week felt like a lock for me. I'll pay for that. Um, but this week, I just, I, I have, I don't know why. It's just a feel, this is kind of the hunch pool. If I have like a five star rating system on a player, you got course history, <laughs> DJ checks that box. You got recent play, DJ checks that box. You got statistical stuff. DJ checks all the boxes and then some in that category. But there's these other areas like, uh, and it's just, it's kind of the hunch. And my hunch is fade DJ this week. I, I don't know why, but that's where I'm feeling. And part of the reason may be because Paul Casey's sitting right there, as you mentioned, yeah. great course history. He's got a very solid recent play, not too exciting where it's like, is this just a hot streak? Right, uh, tied 21st at the AMX. His statistics 
speak well to the golf course, as he said. I mean, 23rd strokes gain off the tee, 25th approach the green, 31st tee to green. Uh, the putting and short game are definitely, as you mentioned, concerning. But the last four winners at this golf course, if you look at their approach shot distance to pin or proximity to the hole, in 2019, Phil was second. In 2018, Ted Potter was tied third. In 2017, Jordan Spieth was ninth. And in 2016, Vaughn Taylor was third. So that that just signifies to me that iron play is going to be very important on a course with small greens. Paul Casey, I really like. Um, but and, and Patrick Cantlay, I really like as well. He is a phenomenal iron player. Jason Day is a guy to me. And I know, yeah. I'm sure you have some thoughts on him because he's, he's the, the question mark for me. The, the recent history is phenomenal. Probably better than anybody who doesn't have a win, right? A, a T4 in 19, T2 in 18, T5 in 17, T11 in 16. I don't know what he was thinking that week. And then T, and T15 <laughs> and tied fourth, right? These are fantastic. Uh, tied 16th at the Farmers last week, but the weakness in Jason Day's game is iron play. He kind of has a yeah. way of making up for it with short game, but that's like uh, it's an odd combination. Well, I hate banking on that. I hate kind of banking on that short game stuff when you've yeah. I don't know what to do with these two, Jason Day and Brant Snedeker. Uh, Day, you're right. He's lost strokes on approach in five straight starts, which is absolutely terrifying. Um, somehow he got around Tory the last time we saw him for a 16th. And you're right, the course history is amazing. So I don't know. I'll probably avoid both of these guys, but like you've got to pick either Jason Day or Brant Snedeker. Where where are you going here? Um, man, I gotta say Jason Day. I think Jason is too talented of a player. Uh, to perform the way that he's been performing. I just, I think he's just too good. And I know there's a, this is, this goes beyond statistics. I think it's time for Jason Day to step up and, and put together a great tournament. And I think this is a place where he could do it. So he does have some doubts. It, it almost reminds me a little bit of Justin Rose in 2019 at Torrey, where he didn't really know where it was going, but it, all, everything just kind of worked out for him. And so I, I just have this, this is back to the hunch again, which I don't like yeah. using, but I have enough data here with Jason Day. That course history for one, for five years, five straight years, it, it's enough to make me feel really good about it. Um, as for Brant Snedeker, I feel like you're relying on, on the putting and the short game even more than Jason Day. Um, and I like Brant at the, he's priced too high. If Brant were in the, you know, nine, seven, nine, eight range, I'd be all over him. But up at that price, I just don't have quite the confidence. I have more confidence in Jason Day than Brant Snedeker. I will tell you that I have already bet to win one of these five golfers. Would you like to take a guess at who that might be? So these five – are these the five <laughs> in the 10K plus range? DJ, yeah, the five Cantlay, in the 10K plus Casey, range. Day, Snedeker. You already have a bet yes. in – I'm going to guess Patrick Cantlay. I, it is not, but I was, I almost pulled the trigger on Cantley. I did actually end up betting Dustin Johnson and I got him at six and a half to one. And I will tell you why. Uh, that number, six and a half to one, basically the same odds we got on John Rahm last week. I think he was like seven to one. And Rory was like seven or eight to one at Torrey Pines, which to me, are much worse situation. Like the, the field is much, uh, deeper. It is much more talented than when we get to, 
AT&T Pebble Beach and somewhat like nothing against Brandon Grace, but when Brandon Grace is like the 10th favorite in a field, that's a weak field. Or when Daniel Berger is like in the top 15, that's a weak field. So I actually very rarely will bet someone this short because I just, it's hard for my brain to, like they have to win so often, but I actually already bet this one because of if I'm going to pay the seven to one or the seven and a half to one, I'd rather have it here than other places. Well, so just because, and see, this is interesting, Rick. This is why I wanted to talk to you today. So you have, you're, you're betting this because like this is the best odds of a six to one odds that you're going to get, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's like, right. Yeah. Basically, I mean, it's, it's just odds. like, Right. It's, it's like this number comes up a handful of times a year. We'll probably see it like 10 times because there'll be like a stud in like kind of a weak field. But then we saw it at waste management and farmers. And it's like, well, I'm definitely not paying it there. So uh, like I, I'm happy to pay it here. I'm happy to pay it like RBC Canadian. Like when there's like one stud who should run away with it, like that's, and you're willing to take that chance. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. It's almost like if DJ wins and you don't, bet him you're gonna kick yourself and i i can understand that this is this is what we did you and i both with ricky fowler at the amex like he's the class of the field there's nobody else jumping off the page at us so and there's probably not another time where we're going to be all over ricky so let's just take him here uh i i can understand that i i have again the traveling back from saudi arabia thing scares me yeah it gives me pause and it's a hunch i know he's playing great he played great he's the most talented player in the field, no doubt, but I just have a little bit of pause for for DraftKings. You know what? I, I don't hate it for betting to win. It'd probably be a small. I think that's where that's that was where I said I said okay, I'm not going to play him on DraftKings, but I'm going to bet him, and that'll be my like you yeah know, my hedge my hedge against you know my DraftKings lineups stinking is if DJ wins and I have yeah to bet him. you got to get something because he's a kick yourself guy. I'm with you. <laughs> Right. All right. Next section here. Uh, the nine thousands. Uh, Matt Kuchar leads the way. Matthew Fitzpatrick. So we're already in the Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yeah. That's where this field goes. Phil Mickelson, Brandon Grace, Graham McDowell coming off the win in Saudi Arabia, Victor Hovland and Jordan Spieth. Wow. Uh, there, this is the, there are like three guys in here that I'm like, I like to pick on these guys. Like I never play these guys. I never roster these guys. I think this, uh, outside of maybe, Hovland, who I love and I know he's not playing that well, like you will not see me be early on Spieth. You will definitely not see me be using Phil. I I, I think Phil's kind of just washed. I know he came in, uh, what, third in Saudi Arabia yeah. and you're paying for the fact that he's now back here as the defending champion in that great course history. But we have seen so little from Phil to be optimistic that, like, I, I can't. Man, it's not enough for me. I mean, so the course history you mentioned is great. He's played it 23 times. Five wins, yeah. two seconds, two thirds, 11 top tens. So he's top tending about half the time that he plays here. But this is the one that I found. And, and the recent play, which is kind of another bucket we always look at, has not been, it's been awful aside from Saudi Arabia yep. last week. So it was one week enough to make you say, Phil figured something out. He's, he's a Hall of Famer for a reason. He's extremely talented and it's very possible that he has figured something out. But this is the thing that's keeping me away from him aside from the statistics and aside from my doubt in his recent play. His, he's, he's won this tournament five times, as I said. His best finish in a year after a win is T21. And it, he just hasn't defended well. And I, I don't see enough to say Phil's going to defend well this year. 
I think this is the kind of year where he doesn't defend very well. So I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. I'm staying away from Phil. Um, Victor Hovland is a guy that I really like. I, I really like Victor Hovland this week for a number of reasons. I think he's a, a phenomenal player first and foremost. No doubt about it. Yeah. He is third in strokes gained, um, or, or in proximity to the hole. I mentioned this, the statistics of the first four, the, the last four winners and their proximities to the hole. He was also the low am last year at the U.S. Open. I think, That's I think right. it's a good course for him. I think he's a really good player and I think that price is, I think it's a good price considering the field. So I will tell you that uh, this is the best price you'll probably get on Victor. And also in terms of the betting market, he's 35 to 1 most places. Um, other scenarios we've seen Victor in, he was 18 to 1 in Mayakoba. He was 14 to 1 at Greenbrier. He was 20 to 1 at the CJ Cup. Uh, Greenbrier's uh, probably even a worse field. But like I think this is the buy low opportunity on Victor because he's – very reasonably priced. Uh, if you want to bet him, I can't hate you for that. This is seemingly a pretty good spot for him. So I'm, I'm in on buying low on Hovland. But how about, like, did we just completely forget about Matt Kuchar, uh, who won in Singapore two, I don't know, what, two weeks yeah. ago? And then had a T16 at waste management last week. Like, shouldn't a guy who, doesn't necessarily hit it very long off the tee. Uh, this is, you know, these are three of the shorter courses on the PGA Tour. They kind of have natural landing spots. Is this? I mean, I know his history isn't that great here, but is this a Kucher track, or should it be a Kucher track? Uh, I have, I, I see where you're coming from, right? It makes sense. The thing about Matt Kucher is there's a lot of really good courses for him because he keeps True. the ball in front of him. It. it it actually reminds me a little bit of a Webb Simpson. It, it, he's that kind of short neck giraffe that has the built in hole of distance, but the rest of their game is pretty solid. Um, but for Kucher and these, these really small greens, I just have some questions about they're, they're a little slopey. I don't think he puts the greens extremely well. He's a good putter. I wouldn't consider him a great putter. And I just, I, I just worry about him. Here's the other thing about Matt Kucher that concerns me and it's, uh, weather. Cooch tends to mm. struggle when the weather gets bad. We've yeah. seen a number, we've seen it a number of times over the past. For a guy that doesn't have tremendously high club head speed, he does hit the ball very high, um, and in wind and in rainy conditions. We've seen a lot of uncharacteristic high rounds out of Matt Coocher. And so that I think has part of the reason. I think weather coming in gives him some trouble. Um, but I wouldn't rule him out as a guy that can have a good week. I just, again, you're talking about he, he's, he's 9,900. He's right there basically with Brant Snedeker and he's in just kind of in a, in no man's land for me. Am I going to get him on my team? Is he going to be my top dog at that price? Mm. And what you've already talked yeah. about with the really low end guys, is Matt Kuchar going to be your top dog? Is he going to be your anchor for this team? I don't think so. I, I, so that, I just have, I just have doubts on Kucher and in the price that he is. Again, if he was 8,900, I'd be all over it, but no, I, I just, I don't really see the trust in him this week. The case that you're making is one that 
I naturally, it just kind of hit me. So, I mean, we're talking, and in terms of betting odds, we're talking about, you know, Kuchar's 20, 27 to 1. Some of this, some of the guys in this range are 33 to 1. Speeth is 40 to 1. Like, that's the range of, of odds that we're looking at. And to me, this is a dead zone because these are guys that are generally, some of these guys are usually 50, 60, 70 to 1. But this week, this field, everybody moves up. And what we've kind of seen out of this event, it feels like, Either a top dog wins it, DJ wins it, Jordan Spieth wins it, whatever, or someone out of nowhere, like a Vaughn Taylor or a Ted Potter Jr. or whatever, wins it. Not a lot of winners come from like this second tier of golfers, and to me, it's like a dead zone. I, I tend to agree. I do, like I said, I do like Hovland. Uh, Brendan Grace intrigues me. You were all over him last week for the Waste Management Phoenix Open. He came and tied ninth. So that definitely has my interest a little bit. He came and tied, uh, well, actually that was Graham McDowell who came and tied 18th last year. But Grace has my interest. But I'm not really there yet, especially betting to win. I don't see him as a guy to bet to win. Graham McDowell just won. If, if he had came in third last week, I'd be much higher on him. But he did come in tied fourth at the Sony. He did win the U.S. Open here in 2010. He is on the PGA Tour this year, ninth in strokes gain approach the green. He is a phenomenal putter. He is a phenomenal player when it comes to bad weather. Graham McDowell is a guy that seems to me to have, uh, a, a rising interest in the game. For a couple of years there, I felt like he was maybe uh, involved more in his beer company, kind of <laughs> d- distracted a little bit from the golf course, focusing on other things. I almost thought Graham McDowell was done, but I feel like he has a, a new drive, like a new will that started last year at the Canadian Open. Like He wanted to play Port Rush. He got to Port Rush. I think that inspired him, and I think he realized, hey, I can still play. So I- I'm I'm very interested in Graham McDowell traveling back from Saudi Arabia and coming off of a win in another country gives me a little bit of concern. I know that sounds strange. He just won. Why would you be concerned? How often is it that Graham McDowell wins two weeks in a row? I don't know, but I I feel (laughs) like his form is really is is in real good shape. The question is, was last week the peak or was last week just just a step in the right direction? Yeah, it's golf is the only sport in which we penalize the guy who was the best in the world the week before, <laughs> right. but, histor- but but historically it's been yeah. true. Like it's hard. There's a reason it's for really it. hard. Yeah, it's hard to back it up. All right, 8K range. Uh, I won't read them all off, but it starts with Daniel Berger and goes down to Kurt Kitayama at a flat 8,000. Uh, for me, this is where you really start to see what is underneath, you know, this field here. And there's guys of all different sorts. Um, the ones that stand out to me specifically, uh, $8,300 Max Homa. I think this is a situation where uh, kind of like Tom Hoagie we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's like, Okay, Tom Hoagie's going to play well for like three or four straight weeks. I don't know when it's going to start. I don't know when it's going to end. Uh, I feel kind of similar to Max Homa here where he's got a ninth at the Farmers, a sixth at the Waste Management, and you're looking up going, oh, man, like can he get this one more – can he do this one more week? And I'm hoping the answer is yes because I really like him. He finished 10th place last year, and three of his top 11 rounds in his career in terms of strokes gained have come at this tournament. So I'm hoping it's a place that brings him really good vibes, and he's playing well. And to me, those are the two things that I want to intersect Yeah, here. I mean, you got to like the fact that he's a he's kind of a California kid, right? He, he was born in California. 
Uh, he lives in California. He went to Cal Berkeley. I think those are definitely factors that you like. He hasn't missed a cut in a really long time. Um, so you go back through these rounds, like really nice play at the Farmers, really nice play last week, as you mentioned. These are things you like about Max Homa. Um, from a statistical standpoint, you don't necess- there's not really much to like there. He's kind of below <laughs> average in a lot of these areas. But I, I, that doesn't mean that you can't have a great week. So Max Holmes is a guy I like. Again, it, it's this kind of a field gives you a lot of pause. So where are you? Where else are you going to go? Are you going to go to Rafa Cabrera Bayo? Uh, maybe, but boy, is that a safe? That, that's like such a safe, comfy pick that yeah. probably leads to a, a T thirty five, right? I, I don't see any. <laughs> I don't see any uh, gold at the end of that rainbow. Kevin Kisner, I kind of feel like the same way. He has probably more win equity than anybody else in this group. But would agree. Um, but again, maybe that's where you go. I, to me, there's two guys. I, Homa, I, I I like Homa. I do like Homa. I agree with you there. Kisner, I have questions about, but I like his his ceiling. The other guy that has really interests me is Alex Norin. Um, yes. And I'll tell you why. When I first was going through this list, I kind of wrote him off. I was like, Alex Norin, oh man, he's, he's been playing terrible. But I, for some reason, I just, I looked at him because I almost thought he's at 8,700. There's got to be, I know it's not the strongest field, but there's got to be a reason why. Because if he's playing anything like he did last year, this is horrible. So let me look into this a little bit. Well, since the Bermuda, since, since uh, the Bermuda Championship over there, he came in tied 15th there, tied 10th at the RSM, tied 32nd at the Sony, tied 14th at the Amex. And the thing I really mm-hmm. like about this is in those 12 rounds of those four, uh, of, um, uh, I guess that's actually 16 rounds. And of those 16 rounds, only one of them has been in the 70s, which I really like. He's shooting in the 60s a lot. And then you go to the statistics on him. And he's 18th in strokes gain approach, 9th strokes gain tee to green, and 8th strokes gain around the green. We mentioned Jason Day, a guy with a great short game who gets it done. We know that iron players have, uh, or guys who had great weeks with the irons have gotten it done. Uh, I, that is kind of a combination that makes me feel really good. And I know that he's been a great putter. This year hasn't been the best putting year, but he's had, he, he's a, what I would call a gifted putter. So Alex Norton really has my interest. Are you worried at all that he's never played here before? Yes and no. I mean, this is a weird tournament. It's the the pro am aspect of it. The court, the three course rotation, the dragging around an amateur for six and a half hours. Like, I don't. We don't know how these guys like this or don't like this. So, like, the fact that he's never played here might be good. I have no yeah. idea. But I will say, he's made ten straight cuts worldwide. Fifteen of his last sixteen. I. Tend to agree. I mean, I'm, I, I don't think I will have a lot of exposure to any one golfer in this entire range, but I'm sprinkling, yeah, Alex Norin, Kevin Kisner, Max Homa, and maybe a little Russell Knox, who I think he finished T16 last week. I had him in a, I had Russell Knox as a, a 10 to 1 top Euro bet last week, and he finished one shot behind John ah. Baum. And I was like, I was like, no! Oh my gosh. <laughs> I almost cashed this 10 to 1 bet on Knox. Um, but I was following him, so I was like, oh, he's playing he well. He has been playing um, well. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's got a 15th two years ago and a 14th, uh, last year at, at Pebble. So those are probably the four guys that, that I'm concentrating on. But I, I do say kudos to Alex Norman because remember, he was like 11th in the world, not that I long know, ago. and that's where, that's why I like him so much. I feel like he's 
coming back. And I feel like he's last year was to me, my prediction is that that, that is the, uh, the exception, not the rule. I think he just got into a bad place last year and he may have been injured. I mean, I don't know what happened, but it was like extremely bad play. And I just have a feeling that's not who Alex Noren is. So I, I think you're going to see no. him come back with a good year this year, especially after looking into this a little bit. And why not start this week? I mean, he's a good bad weather player too. I, I, I don't see any reason why to, I just think he's too good to be down here in this range. He's the more I think about it, the more he stands out to me. He and Kisner are the kind of the two guys yeah. for me. He he. Not to go too off on a tangent here, but Norton's very interesting because even in this run of like you know ten straight cuts made, his his official World Golf ranking is dropping like a rock because his like his wins and stuff previous to that are all falling out. So I think his actual world rank number is going to get worse before it gets better. But like this is definitely an upswing. Like I I would love to see him get back in like yeah even the top thirty in the world. Like that would be cool yeah maybe the Ryder Cup. I mean I don't want to play against him. He'd be a great James Bond by the way. If uh, if you're talking Ooh. about James Bond as an actor, that's what Alex Noren I think would be a pretty good one. Um, I can get yeah, behind. That. I got there are three guys in that conversation. I think Alex <laughs> Noren is a guy that I like. Uh, Henrik Stenson and Adam Scott. I think those are the three James Bond people. Yeah, players. Henrik Stenson's so cold blooded. That'd be yeah. cool. That would be like a cold yeah. version of it. Um, all right, seven thousand. There are a lot of guys here. It starts at JB Holmes and Tom Hoagie at seventy nine hundred. It goes down to I mean, there's a bunch of guys at seven thousand even, but we're talking Harold Varner, Cameron Tringale, Nick Taylor, those types of players, and this is where. I'm like, oh crap. Like, okay, I, I played DJ or I played Casey and now I've got to find something here. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I would bank like, okay, so we kind of talked about this with Benny on a little bit last week. Lonzo Griffin 7200 and he's coming off literally the worst event he's ever played on tour, like by far. Uh, he lost more strokes, like basically for that tournament last week. Uh, it was twice his worst ever start before that. It was just, it's just so bad. And what I'm saying is, Hey, we are now only like three, re- three weeks removed from Lonto being seventh at the Sony open. We're like six starts removed from him winning in Houston. I don't think he has forgotten how to play golf, but that really bad week drives him down into 7,200 with Zinzun Zhang and Bo Hostler and all these other guys, and I like him compared to those guys. See, this is where this game gets so hard, right? This is yeah. where – because, again, like you said, Tom Hoagie, when is this run going to end, right? This is the this is what we experienced with Lonto Griffin. So you, you go back and look – and he was a very popular player to play. Uh, in fact, I played yep. him at the Houston Open. He was my pick to win, and he he pulled it off. The reason for that was he had four straight top twenty starts, and, and he was playing great yep. golf. So it was it was like an easy, cheaper play. And then he continued it with the Bermuda. Then then all of a sudden, Mayakovic tied seventy six RSM cut. But he comes back this year with a couple of two nice weeks. And we're thinking, is Lazo Griffin really this good? His price is going way up. Is he really this yep. good? Because there's some statistical things we really like about Lanto too. A long hitter, really good putter. We like all those things. But now in his last four rounds, you have a 76, 74, and a 78. I don't like anything about that. So you wonder, are these two bad weeks? Are these two courses that don't fit him? What What is it that gives you... 
any hope that this is going to change. So there's a reason for this price fall. And I wonder if this is Lonto kind of evening out. And it, it just, I don't know if I can take, if I can take that risk. The, the thing I will say too about this range is there are some, what I call safety picks. I look at a guy like Scott Piercy and a guy like Cameron Tringale. And I think those are guys that are cut makers. Um, Scott Piercy has great iron play. He's a guy that can get really hot with the irons. He's a guy in this range that I think has some real win equity. I, I think he's a guy that can go out and win, um, I, but I think he's pretty safe. I think Cameron Tringale as well is very safe, um, kind of like Rafa Cabrera Bayo, but at a much cheaper price, where he's probably going to play pretty well. He'll probably have your interest, but he probably won't get you a win. He probably isn't going to get you a top 10, but he'll be there. So... That's the question. Do you go super risky in this area or do you try to find somebody that's safe because you don't feel really good about anything? Yeah, you know what? And I kind of wrote off this entire 7,000s, but the upper 7,000s, uh, there, there are some names I'd certainly play here. You, I mean, you mentioned Scott Piercy, even like a Kevin Na or Von Taylor's not, I mean, he's won here before. He had a good stretch of golf, you know, earlier this year. Like there are definitely some guys that I could get behind. I mean, even Patrick Rogers is 7,400. He, this is, this is, <laughs> we talk about, it's the Tom Hoagie effect. Okay. Two good weeks in a row for Patrick Rogers. Does he have a third right. in him? Historically, I we I don't know how often we've seen Patrick Rogers put three great tournaments together, but he does have a top ten here two years ago. I, I think I think you're kind of throwing darts down here. I couldn't agree more. So uh, it <laughs> it makes me kind of go, well, these are where I want to get a guy that's just going to make a cut. I want to try to get a guy oh, like sure. like I I like Cameron Tringale because it it's safe and I feel like he could do well. If I can afford it, I might go with a Scott Piercy because I think there's a safety and a little bit of win equity there. So um, th- those are really the two areas that I'm looking at, and I don't really go much farther into that. There are about a million golfers under $7,000, and if you thought the $7,000 range was bad, imagine what the $6,000 range looks like. Um I have a, I have a cheat sheet that just, it, you know, if it's red, if he missed the cut, uh, you know, it's green, if he made it, depending on where it's at. And like, as I scroll down, it's like red, 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 like all I see is red yeah. on this thing. Cause it's not a lot of great recent form, um, from any of these guys down here, but I'll tell you what, we talked about this, uh, a handful of weeks ago. I think there's a couple of golfers that you can play, uh, five or six times a year and their names are, uh, Brian Gay and Zach Blair places that generally uh, distance is not going to kill you. And these are short courses. Distance is always going to be a benefit, but not necessarily a prerequisite around here. Um, so Zach Blair is, is $6,700. He's someone that I might consider, but yeah, I, I, this is the range I would want to avoid, Greg. I agree. Uh, and that's part of the reason why with Dustin Johnson, I have a hard time. I, I don't know how you can get, a solid lineup with DJ and not one of these guys. So you're, you're in a position here where you're going to stretch. Now, uh, I, I do understand your strategy and Rick, I know you're a big risk taker, right? You, you're, you've said many times before you want to win all the money, not some of the money, not, not double your money. So going on right. that strategy, it, it's not crazy to say that one of these guys is going to pop up. Question is who? What are you going to go on? Is there anything <laughs> you can cling to? Like I, I look at myself 
in my role as an analyst here. I'm supposed to analyze what these players have done, where they, uh, and give you a reason why. Not just say, not just throw darts at a board and say, well, Luke Donald, this is going to be a great week for him just because I know the name. So it gives me a little bit of a hard time. Now, one guy, Sebastian Kaplan, is a guy that does interest me a little bit. A T6 at the American Express, a T21 at the Farmers Insurance Open. Uh, not a great week at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, but he did shoot even par, which, you know, you can give him a, it's not like he shot a 79. So there's not, you know, it's not terrible. He is 84th in stroke game putting. Okay, that's okay. He's 49th off the tee. He's got some distance. There's a little bit to cling to here. Um, but quite frankly, not a lot. So I'm not, I, I would say there's a little bit of recent form with him you could get, you could cling to. The one guy that I do like that's a huge risk, but I'm, I can cling to something here is Brandon Wu. He did make the cut at the U.S. Open last year. He's a young mm-hmm. gun coming up out of Stanford. Um, so I, a California kid, and I've heard Johnny Miller say before, California kids win in California. Because you gotta know how to putt the greens. And he does. So I, I like Brandon Wu in that sense. I like being early on him. But even at 6,900, I feel like he's too high. If he was 6,300, I'd play him. Uh, cause I, I do think he's gonna be a wonderful player. I think this could be a really good week for him. He, he catches my eye. But, um, but again, do you think 6,900 is a little high for him? I mean, I think all of these guys are, it's just the nature of this field that I, it feels like they're all overpriced, but I will say, and don't quote me on this, I think, I think Brandon Wu was the second amateur in that US Open last year behind Victor Hovland. Yeah. I believe that is yeah, true. Yeah, he made the cut, he missed um, the grad, he missed his graduation at Stanford. That's right. He made the cut. He came in tied 35th, uh, and Hovland may have been tied 12th, I want to say. 12th, that so, is correct. So, um, pretty good play out of those two guys. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you're right. When I'm down here, I look at, um, just a few specific skill sets. I say, as usual, give me the ball strikers. The one guy that stands out to me there is, is Doc Redmond. Yeah. Who is 6,700 bucks. Uh, I mean, this guy is literally, hold on, let me get this top 25. He's 23rd off the tee this year. He's 30th on approaches. Now I will not quote his short game numbers because it is ugly, Greg, but, uh, you know how I feel about that. He gets hot, he gets hot one week, like give me a couple of really, like you're not, there's probably not another guy down here that is like top 25 in a, a, a skill set that I think is as important as either off the tee or well, with Doc Redman, you're looking for a week like, um, I believe it was Rocket Mortgage last year. He came in second to, uh, to Nate Lashley. Right. And he made a run at the open championship. Yeah. So I, he was like top five. In right. The open right around the same time. So he's a pop, he's a, he's a popper, right? He's like a, yeah. it's like an Andrew Landry. Are you going to, you think he's going to play well over time or do you think that's just a one week kind of a thing? So I, I, I have a hard time down in this range. I really do. I, I, there's not a lot to cling to. I see what you're saying with doc here, but again, I mean, it's the same story. You were right. It was second at the Rocket Mortgage. It was a T20, which is still fine at the Open Championship. Uh, T18 at Wells Fargo the week before the Rocket Mortgage. So he can get on a little bit of a run. All right. Uh, let's talk a little, couple of bets, a couple of head-to-heads. The one that caught my eye, uh, and we talked a little bit about these guys, so I kind of have an idea of where I think you're going here. But I saw one that was Paul Casey, minus 120, versus Brant Snedeker, minus one. 10. So almost a coin flip. You pay a little more juice on the Paul Casey side. Uh, what say you? Brant Snedeker has been playing really well lately. 
yeah. I mean, he, he really has. And this is the kind of course where Brant Snedeker can do pretty well. But Paul Casey has been too, right? Paul Casey's been playing a lot, as you've said. He's been playing really well. Uh, this is a good course for him. I think Paul Casey embraces the amateur aspect of this tournament. I, I gotta, I gotta say Paul Casey is a favorite for a reason in this one. Um, Mm-hmm. It's a tough one, man. For me, it's a, it's almost like a coin flip. Like I said, in these matchup bets, I don't necessarily care too much about the odds. I try to get, find a guy that's going to win. It's hard for me to to like. Brant is playing great, and I really like him this week. He's in no man's land a little bit for me, price wise. Maybe this is the area where you take Brant Snedeker. I wouldn't I wouldn't hate you for it, but I'm going to take Paul Casey. I'm also going to take Paul Casey, and I'll tell you why. Um, Snedeker, I like a lot, uh, but he does not serve the purpose that I want him to serve for a head-to-head matchup because of how volatile he is. So even just the last, let's look at the last two weeks. He goes third place at the Farmers. He goes miscut at the Waste Management. If he finished top five here, no one would be surprised. Uh, he misses the cut here last year, a place that he's won. His results tend to just be all over the yeah. place. You're going to have high finishes. You're going to have miscuts. Paul Casey is like the lock of the century to top 20 every single event that he plays. And that doesn't mean he's going to win because we know Paul Casey's had issues winning. Yep. But when when I'm betting against one other person and or one other golfer and you can give me the side that more consistently is going to finish in the top 20 because it doesn't matter if – you know, Casey finishes second if Snedeker beats him, right? I just want to have a chance at this. I don't want to have my guy play me out of a head-to-head matchup. So I'll go with the safer guy, which is like one of the few occasions that I do. And that guy. I like that strategy. It makes a lot of sense. Just the, the thing with Brandt, he's hard to bet against, right? He's, how many guys can say they've shot 59 in a PGA tour? <laughs> I know it's a Wyndham. I know many. it's a completely different course, but he's that good. He's he's kind of like a Webb Simpson with an extremely good skill set, um, and and it just makes you wonder. It gives me a little bit of pause, but I think your strategy is solid. I think it has merit, and uh, I think you'll be right at the end of the week. I hope so. Here's another thing I hope I will be right about. It's the one and done. So let's give, let me give you the standings here real quick. Our big boss, Eric K, uh, leads the way with a million points, not dollars, million points, um, because he had John Rahm a couple of weeks ago, uh, I believe at Tory. I am in dead last. I've got, uh, 255,000. I'm right below Mark, who's in, uh, sixth. Kyle's in fifth. Producer Jacob is in fourth. You, Sir Greg, are in third with 577000 So for me, the good news is I'm only three quarters of a million dollars out of first, and there's a lot of golf to be played, but I got to get going here. Yep. Uh, so I am going to stick with the Paul Casey story, and I'm going to take Paul Casey this week. Um, I was This is a very difficult decision for me. I think that uh, if you – like, like, I can't burn DJ here, no matter how big of a favorite he is. Uh, Paul Casey, with the course history, the eighth and the second, and just how much he's played, um, how good he's played, he's been just fine all across the world, and I don't have a real natural other place to play him. Like, I guess I could play him at Valspar or maybe Travelers or something like that, but I, I'm not, like, dying to do so. So here is where I will um, stick my Paul Casey flag in the ground. I like the pick. Uh, I, I completely agree with all of your points. I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction. 
um, as they say, you're in last place for a reason. So <laughs> that's exactly right. For uh, sure. So you know what? Okay. Real quick, real quick. I had web. Sim- I'm in like three or four other, uh, one and dots and I had web Simpson in every one last week, except uh, this one. Cause I wanted to needle cause I wanted to needle, uh, Mark and Kyle about using Gary Woodland. And it was so stupid. I like it. Like backfired. Yeah, it backfired. <laughs> it backfired. And that's the thing. Like, what's your reasoning for these? Pay- you you got to work your way through these things so it, it's it's not easy the the thing that kills me about your one and done season is the justin rose miscut but anyway yeah, let me hurt. uh let me get to mine here i'm gonna go with this is a hard one for me too i'm gonna go with jason day and i'm gonna take jason day for a couple reasons one i feel really good about his course history as we've mentioned before his worst finish in the past five events is tied 11th so uh i i really like that Tied 16th at the Farmers last week. Um, this is a good time of year for him. And the, he, he's a big-name guy that I think could win majors, but I have doubts about his health. Right now, I feel like he's healthy. So while the iron's hot this week, this is the week for Jason Day. Uh, I'm going to take him, get him off the board. I'm going to go with my strategy so far, which has been safety first. I think th- this is a low-risk pick. Um, it's going to keep me right there. And I know that this season is going to be determined in the majors and towards the end of the season. So Jason Day to me is a guy that is risky for his long-term success. I don't know what, I don't know what's going to be projected, but I feel really good about him in, in the recent form. Uh, I feel really good about him right now and I feel like he's healthy. So I'm going to take him while he's healthy. Jason Day, mark it down. I think you do a really good job of getting the natural fits. Uh, Hideki at Waste Management, Jason Day here, that is, in my opinion, a very safe, a very sound, a very solid approach, and it's proving uh, to work. 577,000, third place for you. Yeah, I'm right here. there. I'm sticking with the strategy. And like I said, and like you've said, there's a lot of golf left. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm there, and I want to make sure that I have all the weaponry that I need when it's time to really make a push. All right. Greg, that'll do it, my friend. Any parting words for AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am before we I can't wait here? to see it. I cannot wait to see it. I love Pebble <laughs> Beach. I love Spanish Bay. I love watching these golf courses. So I'm, I'm extremely excited, and uh, I'm excited Friday. I'm excited for Friday night. I'm excited to get together and go over the first half of the tournament. Who's the celebrity you're most looking forward to see? Is it uh, Boomer from ESPN? Is it uh, Wayne Gretzky? Who's who's out there that you're excited for? Wayne Gretzky is a big one for me, uh, the great one. I grew up uh, hockey. I played hockey for basically my whole life uh, up until college. So love Wayne Gretzky. I was actually at Wayne Gretzky's last game at Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. So um, a huge fan of the great one. Um, another the, the Manning brothers are both playing. Uh, I'm, oh, yeah, I didn't know I'm that. Okay, that's to see good. That. Peyton and Eli. Um, Eli in his first year without a job as an unemployed guy. Right? So, <laughs> Hopefully, he's been practicing. He's got a lot more time yeah, on his hands. So. I guess he's such a cool guy. I have so much respect for the Manning brothers, their personalities, and their abilities on the football field. And and like they came up with so much pressure to succeed, and they did. And that's just yeah. really cool for me. So I would say those three guys, the Manning brothers and Wayne Gretzky. Uh, are the guys I'm excited for. Yeah, I like to see the the other sports guys come over and see how hard golf really is, right? You know, the Tony Romos and Aaron Rodgers or whoever else is going to play. Uh, and they're great. They're all they really can't good. Get enough but, of it. Yeah, golf is golf is not an easy game. 
All right, Greg. Well, uh, much appreciated, sir. That's Greg Ducharme. You can get him on Twitter, which I highly encourage, at the real GFD. Greg, is there a fake GFD? Well, uh, you never know. And when I made this account in, I would say I was probably in eighth or ninth grade, I was really paranoid at that time in my life. So <laughs> you didn't know what you were going to get. So I wanted to make sure that everybody knew who it really was. <laughs> I, I love it. And the first time I saw that, I was like, I got to yeah, ask her about that. I'm it's glad you did. Like six, six, six See, months like, later. When I was in um, high school at that time, it wasn't a, it was completely a joke. And I've had, a, I've been a little self-conscious about it because now that, uh, you know, you do a podcast, you do a radio show, there's like a little bit of, and it's not celebrity, but there's like a, people might wonder, is this really, is he really that pretentious? And I'm not. It, it was completely a joke, <laughs> but I guess you just can't change it. So I'm stuck with it now and, uh, sticking with it. <laughs> All right, the real gray, the real GFD. <laughs> go find him. Uh, you can get me at Rick Run Good. We will catch you next time. Uh, best of luck this week.